0: The book of Acts is a very factual book. On one hand, it's almost a first century travel guide. It has lots of interesting and verifiable accounts and incidents, but it goes far beyond experiences and introduces godly direction as well. This chapter, chapter 20, contains all of these items in one place. It acts as a continuation of the life of Paul as he moves through the civilized world and bringing the gospel for the first time to city after city. The time, the first century, is unique in this kind of travel was available for the first time. The Romans, in their conquests, brought peace for the first time over a broad area of the world. For the first time, people could move frequently and were not as concerned with their security while they traveled. We're treated to an accurate account of Paul's travels. Now, it's written by Luke as a continuation of his gospel account, and it includes the founding of the church. It was a perfect time for the traveling evangelist, and Paul was the man of the hour. The military control of Rome is evident in Acts. While there can be heavy-handed action by the Roman soldiers, peace was enforced and travel was protected. Local government was allowed in these days, and the Roman soldiers enforced the law and the government. As a result, the gospel could be preached freely. This was an ideal time for a missionary to get going. The stories of the experiences of Paul could have made an exciting fiction novel. Luke was careful, though, to keep it factual and was focused on the history of the church from the start. Risks were present, and they're inferred in this chapter with plots, violent threats, and the risks of sinking ships. Now, we don't think much about the hazards of ship travel these days, since, frankly, most of us fly across the ocean. We don't take an ocean liner. However, many of our old hymns remind us of these dangers. When you, you, it sort of escapes you, but when you look at them, the titles, like My Anchor Holds, for instance, uh, remind us of these dangers. There's another one, Throw Out the Lifeline. It's sort of an evangelical experience that has a nautical background. And I was thinking of the, what is called the Naval Hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save. And it reminds us of the danger the ship travel includes. The Naval Hymn includes the line, Hear us when we call to thee for those in peril on the sea. People were aware of the risks and trusted the Lord in their travels, particularly if they were leaving for a tour in the Navy. These were hazardous times in the ocean, and we'll get some sense of that a little later. Paul would later be shipwrecked and go to Malta as a result. Well, let's look at the first seven verses in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone ahead and were waiting for him at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed. Seven days. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them. Luke must have kept a a journal to keep track of all the travels of Paul. There's a lot of detail that he brings in. Paul used all of the options available to him for travel. He was selective as well. He was headed for Jerusalem, which was a serious trip. He had a personal objective, but also was transporting a substantial sum of money to the Christians in Jerusalem. A plot was uncovered to kill Paul on an early ship voyage, so Paul changed his plan. He didn't go by the boat. He went by the land for that leg of the trip. He continued his travels and came to Greece, where he stayed for three months. We're not used to traveling that way, where we stay in one place for three months, but he could adjust his schedule. He then traveled on by land to Macedonia and came to Philippi, where he had previously established a church. From there, he took a ship to Troas and met the rest of the party. The thought of using all different forms of transportation is certainly not the way we tend to do things today. But we come to the next few verses, And we're faced with a miracle that occurred at Troas. So let's look at the 7th through the 12th verses. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day, and prolonged his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a certain young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took away the boy alive, and they were greatly comforted. Here the people stayed through Sunday to meet with the church there. This gives us some insight into the way the New Testament church operated at the time with a regular Sunday meeting. Just bear with me as I start down a short rabbit trail. This information is of special interest to the assemblies since we try to imitate the early church particularly in the breaking of bread. The communion service at the time the assemblies began caused a lot of difficulty. This was in the early 1800s, around 1830, 1840. The conflict was a reaction to the formalism that they faced in the churches of the day. In order to participate in a church communion service, it was required that a person be an actual member of that communion. The Brethren didn't see this in the early assemblies, really didn't see it as a biblical practice. They did find that the early church met on Sunday and broke bread at that time, so this became common practice. These very verses in Acts chapter 20 provided the information for that practice as it continues with us today. Now, clearly at Troas there weren't any clocks available in the meetings. Paul went on speaking until midnight. Can you imagine the message of Paul to that group of Christians? These long speaking deals were not found to be common practice. But there was an unintended consequence. The long meeting around midnight, it made one man famous. Eutychus was sitting on the sill and fell asleep. This soon went beyond just embarrassment. And he fell out the window, which was three stories high. He was picked up dead, it says in verse 9. Picked up dead. I don't know if they thought he was dead or it was a fact, but it certainly disturbed the meeting. (laughs) They hurried down the stairs and got out there and found this young man. From the way it was stated here, I suspect that he was in fact dead, that the fall killed him. Remember the account of Elisha when the widow told him of the death of her son, and the body was laid out in the room that they had made for the prophet. Elisha laid down on top of the boy, and he came back to life. Seems like Paul used the same method that Elisha did and laid down on Eutychus. He was revived. He was taken away alive. Now this was not an early example of first aid. This was a first class miracle. They went on. The the assembly there went on for the rest of the night, basically. And went on with the breaking of bread following this miracle. There must have been a lot of worship of the Lord at this point. This was not a common thing as far as the... The meeting was concerned. Now we come to what I consider to be the really important part of the message of Acts chapter 20. Again, Paul demonstrated his travel flexibility. Look at verse 13. But we, going ahead to the ship, sailed for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for thus he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios. and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So here was the the travel plans. Again, Luke takes us in detail through the actual trip. And uh, he was focused. Paul was focused on getting to Jerusalem by the Feast of Pentecost. So he was urgent in his getting there. And he basically, looking at the next passage from verse 17 on, I think that is a very important passage in this chapter. Let's look at verses 17 through the end of the chapter. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, And with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about the preaching of the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Quite a way to start off the things that he wanted to talk over with the elders, the leaders of that local assembly. Now, this is a very important passage to elders, particularly. I recall how this was a challenging verse to read when I was asked to meet with the elders in our travels through different assemblies. started off there in Philadelphia. It was clear to me that I had to be firmly grounded in the Scriptures before taking on that kind of responsibility in view of the opposition that was the subject of this warning. It was a start of a valuable life to me personally, of independent Bible study, and that's been very important to me ever since. Paul was not going to stop at Ephesus, even though he was well known there. He was in residence for three years and taught daily there. He had a limited time if he were to get to Jerusalem on schedule. They stopped at the harbor of Ephesus, Miletus, And then he sent word to Ephesus, which is about 30 miles away, to come down to Miletus and meet with him. This tells us a few things about these elders. First, they were a known group of men, both to themselves and to the church who had recognized them. So Paul, sending a letter or a note to Ephesus, knew that he would get the word to all of the elders of that local church. This was an important element in the discovery of the practice of the New Testament church that was adopted by the assemblies. It became the expectation of the assemblies regarding church governance, which is a little bit unusual in our world even to this day. We would probably suspect that they were originally appointed by Paul during that three-year residence. In any event, they were a defined group, Paul reviewed his three-year ministry at Ephesus. They'd gotten a lot of attention and a lot of information. This is a well-established church. Frankly, it's hard to read in Revelation. It's the first of the churches that's discussed and read that they had left their first love. The lesson for us there is that it's possible for the most established church to drift And the elders need to be sure that it doesn't happen out of their neglect. Paul then talked about the purpose of his trip to Jerusalem. This was not a happy prospect for Paul. As he had been warned by prophets all along the way that there were going to be lots of trouble and rejection in Jerusalem when he got there. Still, He had resolved to go as moved by the Holy Spirit in spite of the warnings into the face of that conflict. There had been conflicting interpretations of that in in our day, that maybe Paul made a mistake by insisting on going to Jerusalem. Although it couldn't be known, this was a stop on the way to Rome where Paul also had much to do. No difficulty was going to keep him from following the direction of the Holy Spirit. So on he went. Let's read the last ten verses, starting at verse 28. Verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The first duty of an elder, is to be on guard for yourself. Make sure you don't drift, that you still are in the word and being open to the direction of the Holy Spirit. These conflicting interpretations need to be understood that Paul had made no mistake by insisting on going to Jerusalem. And he came to this important message to the elders, And I think it's an important message for today, particularly for the elders. The first thing that he directed them to give attention to was self-examination, because they were at risk. It wasn't the assembly that was at risk first, it was the elders that were at risk first. So they were told to examine themselves and think about that, and that's a constant thing to do. And then it says, and for all the flock. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Entire local assembly that was in their responsibility was at risk if the elders are at risk. Among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit's appointment is very important and we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and seek his direction. And it goes on to call the elders overseers. They have administrative duties and management duties for the whole assembly. The problem is that every Christian does not report to the Lord through their elders or their pastor. They report directly to the Lord with a straight line. We are all accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders are not what you would call in industry line managers who issue pronouncements. We are to be encouragers and will be recognized by the Lord in a future day. We will give account for our work to the Lord, but the work is through other people. The chief shepherd for our work and wish it to be positive. So we will give account for the group, as well as ourselves. And we're told to shepherd the flock, the church of God, shepherd. I think it's in the King James Version that it says feed, feed the church of God. But feeding the church is only one part of the responsibility of a shepherd. If you want to know what the full... Duties of a shepherd are, read over Psalm 23, or read over it again in your mind. Many of us pretty well have it memorized. A lot more. Leads beside the still waters, provides direction. All those kinds of things are included in the duties of the elders. But notice particularly this last phrase shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The the early translators and scholars really had some serious heartburn when they came to this verse. I didn't notice really until this study again, because it really isn't a problem to me. They noted that God as presented in the scriptures, didn't have blood, and this word, the translation, must be a mistake. So they began to add words to it. And that wasn't right either. To me, it is a statement very clearly that Jesus himself is God. And that's obvious to me. It shows the depth of the relationship of the Trinity, it seems to me. Blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. So he had to do that. That had to, be, had to come. It had to be a part of the whole gospel message. So remember that, that little passage, the Church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It was God who indeed purchased us. But it was God, the member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to a warning. The future for these elders is not going to be easy. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. A warning, a strong warning. It wasn't going to be easy. There were going to be savage wolves that rise up. Malignant people who will seek to destroy believers. Now this is a very serious warning. There were dangerous people coming to oppose the true direction of the church and oppose the elders as well. I used to have many books that kicked around the house during my earliest years many of them had illustrations. There was an illustrated Bible. There was an illustrated Christmas book that I still remember. It goes back to uh, an illustration in, in a Russian account which showed a single horse sleigh with a couple of people in it and a driver cracking the whip and this horse just running all out And in back of them and close was a bunch of wolves that were chasing them. Now that is, frankly, a very serious nightmare material. And I have to admit that I visualize that picture quite frequently. Wolves are destroyers. They're animals that kill indiscriminately and don't necessarily eat their kill right at that point. These people were going to arrive and they were going to target the disciples. They speak perverse things, so the elders were to pay attention to what they said and be well aware of what they believe. Commendation is to the word of his grace that will build them up and make them able to protect the sheep as they were directed. There's a reward to be run, and it's a reward that results from a faithful local church. He says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's the objective, growth. Growth in the word, growth in our walk with the Lord. And the two go together. And then he concludes with this. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. You remember that Paul was a tent maker. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus for he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So he was self-employed, and he put things together that he could minister to the needs of other people. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him by grieving especially over the word which he had spoken. They should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. They were going on. He was not put off from the, from the work that he had before the Lord, he was going on. It's a great passage, and I think it gives us a lot of important things to think about. This wasn't the conclusion of Paul's life at all. There was much, much work to be done, more trips to be taken. He was on his way to Rome. But there is a challenge that was ahead for Paul, He did go to Jerusalem. He had false witnesses that produced a riot and wanted him to be killed off. So it was a challenge for Paul. And Paul finally was protected by saying and letting it be known that he was not only a Jew, he was a Roman citizen, full-fledged. And he said to the to the soldiers about the time they were getting ready to beat him thoroughly. You really think you should beat a Roman citizen? And boy, that got their attention quickly. But Paul was faithful beyond Jerusalem. He was faithful as the Romans took him. Roman soldiers accompanied him to Rome. He became that great missionary, the great teacher, the great writer. There were miracles that accompanied Paul and those that he worked with. There are warnings that are to be heeded today, and I believe this passage is a warning to us, particularly the elders and the leaders as we take on leadership responsibility. You know that leadership responsibility is something that you have to think about. We are a participative organization, and we just would would really want you to have that ambition to minister to others and to provide leadership. But that requires that you are able to do it. And the only source of ability is the Word of God. So devote yourself to learning it. These warnings are to be heeded today. And we're to be aware of our weaknesses. About the time we think we're strong, that's when Satan will take advantage of that situation and demonstrate our failures to others. Be aware of the value of the word. There's no other source whereby we can look at this and understand what our path should be and find out the direction of the Lord. And the fact of the matter is this, that spiritual reward is there to follow. There's a coming time when we're with the Lord in glory. When the judgment seat of Christ will occur and we will review the things done in our lives. Never anything about sin. That doesn't matter. That will never be brought up again. We are not accountable for our sin. But what we are accountable for is what we do with our lives in service for the Lord. And the Bema, the judgment seat, is the place where The prizes are handed out. The uh, spiritual reward, which is to follow. We have a wonderful future. As the Apostle Paul had, he had much more to do, much more in travels, many more people to introduce to the gospel. The Lord wasn't any different. The Lord would strengthen him and give him the, the ability. The Holy Spirit would use him to reach a vast number of people and preside over the early days of the church along with the other disciples. We want to close in a word of prayer. And I just pray that you'll think about these things. Not just the elders, but those who will need to be elders. I think you become acutely aware of that when you realize you only got a limited time. And you need to see the advancement of young people moving to continue the assembly and the ministry of the assembly. Let's pray. Father, we would come into your presence and give you thanks for the clarity of the direction of the Apostle Paul to these elders. We lift them up. We lift other assemblies up to thee and everyone that has a leadership responsibility in any way. Keep us faithful, Lord. Keep us yielded to the Holy Spirit and able to hear your voice. We just pray now for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.